locked on jazz for the 29th of August. A failure in logic about distractions. Taylor Horton Tucker, Stanley Johnson acquired by the jazz. Who are they? And what's life in limbo land like? It's all coming up on today's edition of Locked on Jazz. You are Locked on Jazz, your daily podcast on the Utah Jazz. Part of the Locked on Podcast Network, your team every day. How are you? I'm David Locke, radio voice of the Utah Jazz, Jazz NBA insider. This is Locked on Jazz, your daily podcast on the Utah Jazz, giving you insight, expertise, geeky numbers, and hopefully making it way better to be a jazz fan each and every day. Thanks so much for making Locked on Jazz your first listen of the day. We are free and available on all podcast platforms as well as on YouTube. Thanks so much for those of you in the YouTube and the premiere and the community and chatting in the chat room. Give us a thumbs up and give us a little your team every day uh, in the chat room to let me know who's there and who's listened to the show and watched the show today. If you get a chance to give us a five-star review, we'd greatly appreciate it. All right, lots to talk about. Glad to be back. We're kind of at three days a week right now. I'm back in town. Uh, had a great uh, trip. Took the van and my son and our bikes and went around Idaho, went up to McCall, which is one of the more gorgeous places I've ever been. Uh, then went to, um, I think it's called Galena, which is outside of Ketchum, and we're out there and stayed up near the Sawtooths. And then did a little stuff uh, outside Driggs and Victor before finishing up in Targi. So, uh, super fun um, and great time. So, I hope hope you survived. Jazz trade, I wasn't wasn't here to tell you about it, and and the and everybody was okay. Uh, all right, let's get to it. The 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 one that's interesting to me that's going on right now is the report by Tim McMahon. Um, I think he said it on a podcast that the Jazz have kind of put the gas down to try to get the Donovan Mitchell deal done and that makes sense the translation on the next part of it i think is interesting and the idea of the next part of this was this idea that there is it's a distraction uh, a significant distraction to will hardy and the jazz if in fact donovan mitchell comes to training camp and i agree with that in the sense that, yeah, it'll be weird, particularly with all this trade talk, if Donovan opens the year with us, comes to camp, and we're all talking about it, and then Donovan has to talk about how I've always loved Utah, I've never had a problem with Utah, I've never asked to be traded, you know, they just happen to be on a different timeline, I didn't start the discussions, and he has to do all that. And, um, you know, I, get, I, I would agree and understand that that becomes, right, a a a, a kind of awkward overlying aspect to what's going on in camp. However, okay, and so that is all accurate. However, distraction of like what? Like to my point, like just like what does distra- distraction of what? Of um a distraction that the that the jazz end up like what that we might lose more games because of the fact that we talked about Donovan Mitchell in the preseason. Like it, you can't have on one level, tell me that the jazz are, are uninterested in winning games in a full rebuild mode. Uh, the victors, the, the end all be all, and then say, we're worried about a distraction in training camp. Like those two things can't go together because the distraction in training camp 
implies, you know, first of all, Donovan's a great kid, so he's not going to, like, ruin training camp. I actually would argue, fine, he goes through training camp. He's a great talent. He helps us. And then the question is, like, how important is it for the Jazz to lose this year? This is this gets back to our pressure point conversations. I, I, I've said the whole time the first pressure points are both on the Jazz. One is training camp. So I, I, I don't disagree with that. I'm just not sure that I've thought it's such an issue that the Jazz, like, yeah, I think they probably, I think Tim McMahon said it well, that they, they have the pedal down. It's time to try to get this thing done, try to get this cloud away from the what's taking place. And then on the other side of it, have the Jazz, um, you know, and, and see if you can move forward, right? That's ideally. But if you don't, the pressure point is that Donovan comes to camp. And then the next one is that you might win too many games. And so you have to figure that out. Um, and But I'm not sure that I buy this idea that it's a distraction that has to be avoided, that you're going to somehow like take a lesser deal or just get a deal done to avoid Donovan being in camp at the end of next month. I, I don't... Right? Like, because, frankly, win total the next year is not that important. Now, the one that I might buy into is if we're really set on needing a shot for Victor, and, and it's all set on that, which I certainly hope that our, our plan is deeper than just one guy one year and a, and a 14% chance to get him, which I'm pretty certain it is. Because um, that comment right there just in itself speaks to itself. And so then I would hope that our plan's deeper than that. But, you know, the next pressure point is what happens if we start to win some games? Right. Um, and then it ruins our draft. Is that is that enough that we want to then move Donovan? And what that gets to is the idea that now you're talking about is the value that you're bringing back the other way. Now, one of the other rumors, uh, Mark Stein in his newsletter, which is a sub stack and you can subscribe to it. I don't want to like undercut Mark's ability to make a living is this idea that the Jazz are on the verge of being the facilitator for Russell Westbrook as a three-team deal. Now, this begins to get pretty interesting. You know, we've heard this quite a lot, right? This gets pretty interesting um, into this whole deal. And so what you suddenly have here is, and I'm trying to piece it together, and I don't have the Knicks bringing in quite enough money um, on the deal. It gets it gets pretty complicated um, along in, in this process if the Jazz and the Jazz probably are picking up like one or two less players, but they might be picking up two first-round draft picks from the Lakers in this deal and two unprotected first-round draft picks from the Knicks, and you start to piece this together um, in some way. Um, the There is a, a dollar figure that's got to get to the Knicks to make this deal kind of work that I haven't quite figured out how it all happens. So if the Jazz were to acquire Russell Westbrook at $47 million, and then I guess, you know, maybe take quickly and that's it. They're at $49 million. The Jazz move Boyan Bogdanovich and Evan Fournier to the Lakers. Evan Fournier comes from the Knicks. The Lakers would probably need to get one other piece in this puzzle, which could very easy, easily be Malik Beasley or Jordan Clarkson. Um, going to the Lakers at that point. The Jordan Clarkson one would just break everyone. And you now, if it's Malik Beasley, you're getting close. There Suddenly that 53 is at the same as the Jazz 49, and the deal works. I just don't have the... I haven't figured out the last piece that moves here that gets to the Knicks. Like something has to... The Knicks number has to come up 
And I don't quite know how that, um, how the night, you know, there, there has to be about another 19 million or about, yeah, $19 million that goes to the Knicks. And I don't have that figured out. Um, I'm sure somebody has worked the, the magic on that and figured out the number, but this one begins to get interesting because the Lakers standing point is that we will not give up two first round unprotected first round picks just to get off Russell Westbrook. All right. Well, if you get Boyan Bogdanovich and you get off Russell Westbrook, then probably you are. Probably then all of a sudden you are willing to do that. And the Knicks sticking point is, well, we don't want to give up more than two unprotected first round picks and Grimes and this and that. Okay. Well, then if we get two first round picks from the Lakers that are unprotected, maybe, and, and we facilitate that, then maybe we don't need all of those other pieces to the puzzle that we were saying we need. This is the first time that this deal is this kind of begins to continue to percolate. And now that the Kevin Durant is on the sideline, this begins to feel like the real structure of a deal that could work. Now, what's interesting is the Jazz just did this Patrick Beverly to the Lakers for Taylor Horton Tucker and Stanley Johnson deal, which are a bunch of the pieces that you actually would have thought maybe would have moved in that deal. Like Taylor Horton Tucker's 13 million to New York suddenly actually feels like it could have moved in there. So it's interesting that that took place. Obviously those teams were talking a lot. Um, and I'm assuming that that does not, is not prohibitive to getting this deal done. All right. So that, that, that makes us a little interesting. Who are Taylor Horton Tucker? Who are Stanley? Who is Stanley Johnson? Um, who are Taylor Horton Tucker and Stanley Johnson? And what do they mean uh, for the Jazz? And what do we have as players the Jazz just acquired? We'll give you that uh, using one of my favorite tools uh, coming up here. And then Limbo Land. Oh my goodness gracious, what must it be like? That's all as we continue on today's edition of Locked On Jazz. Thanks so very much for making Locked On Jazz your first listen every day. Locked On NBA is still rolling each and every day. By the way, thirty minutes. In uh, every day with the latest news and updates, so grab Locked on NBA as your second listen. Today's show is brought to you by my friends over at Murdoch Chevy, located over in Woods Cross, also in uh, Logan, the Woods Cross store right off the side of the freeway, and the Chevy lineup is absolutely outstanding, as it always is, with the Chevrolet uh, great truck lineup, and you get a $1,000 gas cash card or gas card, not cash card, gas card, uh, right now, whenever you make a new purchase, uh, the Silverado truck, the Colorado truck, they've been serving Utah for 96 years now. The Chevy Silverado with the 2.7 liter engine, uh, EPA estimated 40 uh, miles on a tank of gas is 480 miles of gas on that tank of gas on that it's a lot of fun, and that is just a beautiful ride. Uh, the incredible Silverado, the Colorado, the Zippy, a uh, little bit more maneuverable truck that's out there. Uh, plus the great SUV lineup with the Traverse, the tracks, and you know them, the Utah County Assault Vehicles uh, with the Suburban and the Tahoe. Uh, also, there's the Corvette and the Camaro, but if you're heading into the winter, as we will be here shortly, you might want to be jumping on those Chevy trucks and getting involved with all of that. It is at Murdoch Chevy. All right, so the, uh, by the way, college football fans, the ultimate college football preview is up. It's been a raging success last week. If you didn't grab it already, week zero is in the books. Northwestern pulling off the upset in Ireland. And now we get week one. So if you're still looking for some college football previews, go to ultimate college football, uh, ultimate preview 
on your podcast feed and you'll go grab that uh, there. Who is Talon Horton Tucker and who is Stanley Johnson? So a quick overview on the guy they call THT. Um, he's he's a lo- what I call the large market phenomena. Uh, that is whenever a player does something fairly well in New York or L.A., they become an incredible phenomena. Everyone means they're going to be great and forever after outstanding and then... Eh, kind of happens, kind of doesn't. Because it's funny, players actually develop the exact same in um, Salt Lake City and Sacramento. Well, maybe not Sacramento. Salt Lake City, that was a joke. Oklahoma City in small markets, Minnesota, as they do in L.A. and New York. And it's super hard to develop players um, in all of them. Uh, this is kind of my feeling on Quentin Grimes and Obi Topham and some of these others that have gotten the um, wrath of New York fans that I say, well, just because they're from a large market, I discredit them. No, I, I don't discredit them. I just don't buy the hype. So that's a little bit what I'm at Taylor Horton Tucker, but there's some aspects of Taylor Horton Tucker that are super interesting. Um, one is he's just incredibly long. He's six foot four with a seven one wingspan. So that in and of itself gives him positional strength at a positional size at probably three or four different positions. Um, the, the other one that's just interesting about him is how young he still is. He's 21 years old. He was the youngest player in his draft class out of Iowa State. He grew up a Chicago legend, uh, went to Simeon, and then uh, got drafted in the second round. Lakers acquired him, and he really did pretty well until this last year where his shooting fell even more than it already had before. However, in October of this last 2021, so a little less than, you know, uh, now, 10 months ago, he had thumb surgery. Okay, like anytime you had, we saw with Boyan, anytime you have any injury on your hand or your thumb or your fingers, it's not going to help your shooting a great deal. Now, Taylor Horton Tucker has never been a good shooter. If Taylor Horton Tucker was a good shooter, he would not have been a second round draft pick. Um, you know, the, like draft, guys can overcome their draft position, but rarely are teams wrong at where guys are drafted in other words if you're drafted 46 there's a reason so the reason for taylor norton tucker to being drafted 46 is at 6'4 and 230 pounds and i think he was a little heavier at the draft size without much of a shot he doesn't have a natural position he's unique he's actually a pretty decent secondary ball handler that's actually how b-ball index which we'll get to in a second characterizes him and at college he had two average two or three assists a game but there's a daunting number in his collegiate numbers at 19 year, 18 years old at Iowa State, which is he shot 62.5% from, three point, from the free throw line and 31% from the three-point from the three line. As you've probably heard me say numerous times, the free throw, college free throw shooting is actually a better indicator of your long-term three-point shooting in the NBA than college NBA. The combination of them both one being 31 and the other being 62, is not great. So it was not expected that Taylor Horton Tucker would be a very good shooter in the NBA. In his first year, he took almost no threes. He really almost didn't play. He played six games his first year. So let's go his first year being his, his, his first full season, really being his second year. He shot 28% from three on two attempts a game. And then last year, he shot 27% from three on three attempts a game. So shooting is going to be an issue. Fundamentally, it's not a great shot. I'm not one to judge that um, a huge amount because it's, you know, I, I think I can tell you the numbers. I'll let a basketball scout really give you that. So, um, but when you look at, um, when you look at Taylor Horton Tucker, one of the things that you kind of do discover is there are some strengths in there. One is that length is interesting. 
Um, he, you have him for this year, and he has an $11 million player option for next year, which, you know, if he, um, if he exercises means he had a pretty good year. So if you kind of look at him uh, overall and some of the things, and I like to go look at uh, B-ball index and how they evaluate him. And so they have him as a starting wing stopper defensively, a secondary ball handler, and a guard. Those are kind of the three characteristics um, you look at. He's, and here are some of the characteristics of his game from last, from the 21-22 season. And again, tip of the hat to the guys over at B-Ball Index. So his foul trouble rating is pretty high. He actually, as good a defensive player is, he gets in pretty good. He actually is gets into difficulty with foul um, with fouling. Well, maybe part of the reason is he ends up guarding bigger guys more often than almost any other guard. So his defensive versatility is outstanding. He ends up in the elite amount of time at his size and weight of guarding power forwards and centers. Um, In fact, there was almost no guards in the NBA that guarded centers and power forwards more than Taylor Horton Tucker um, did in his last year. And then for a guard, he's a pretty good rebounder. Um, His rebounding impact is actually through the roof, um, and his overall rebounding is pretty good. So on a defensive standpoint, defensive versatility, his size allows him to rebound. Also probably who he's guarding allows him to rebound. On the offensive side, we just talked about he's not a good shooter. His points per possession are really low. It's his true shooting percentages in the ninth percentile of our, all guards. His points per possession is in the 16th percentile of our guards. His free throw shooting is in the 36th percentile. And he did get pretty good shot quality. It's not like he wasn't guarded on that Laker team. Um, and his it's his off the uh, ball shot making is, is, is he's just poor. Okay, so we don't need to belabor the point. I think you've got it. What does he do well offensively? He is pretty good at rim shot creation. He gets into the cup. He gets on top of the cup, and he draw. He does a pretty decent job driving of drawing fouls. He ends up uh, making it an average level, and he's a pretty decent finisher. He ends up taking a lot of really tough shots at the rim um, along the way. Um, he's uh, Otherwise, the one other interesting one that kind of jumps out is some of his offensive rebounding. But interestingly, not a great like putback guy on those offensive rebounds because he's only six foot four. But those long seven-foot-one arms do allow him um, to do a little bit uh, of rebounding. His one-on-one isolation skills are a little bit below average. He doesn't really have a floater game. He doesn't really have a pure isolation. He's just bogarting you to the rack and trying to beat you with all of his one-on-one talent. And he's middle of the pack, according to B-Ball Index, um, in that regard. And then we've talked about his perimeter shooting probably not being great. And his playmaking is, hmm, eh, eh, like it's okay. Like he's, he's a decent secondary ball handler. He'll... He has a gets you know he'll he'll move it. His passing versatility, according to B-ball index, is pretty good. Um, it's not exceptional um, in any way. Uh, but you know what you have is, and so the real the hurdle for him is whether he'll how he can figure out to be valuable without having a great shot in the NBA, and that's going to be his hurdle. And that's a huge hurdle. That's not an easy one to try to figure out. Stanley Johnson, on the other hand, is interesting in the sense that Stanley Johnson is a guy who was, they're almost the same at this point, which is so interesting. Stanley Johnson was a, is a player who uh, came into the league at 
at 6'6", 242. He was the eighth pick out of Arizona. And the thing about him was that he was so much bigger and stronger than every player he played against out of, I think, uh, Southern California. And then even at Arizona, that he was he was absolutely a beast. And then he got to the NBA, and the skills that he was using to overwhelm people just didn't translate. And then he ended up, you know, bouncing around 10-day contracts. And I think, you know, from a guy who thought he was going to be a top 10 pick in the NBA to and being elite athletically his whole career to being kind of an average athlete, maybe even stuck to the ground a little bit. Um, It was, I think, a big jump for him. He is another one, though, has become very interesting in regards to defensive versatility. He's one of the, if you look at his numbers last year, his range of guarding point guards to guarding centers is through the roof. So both these guys have, you know, really high level defensive versatility. In fact, um, on B-Ball Index, Stanley Johnson was rated as 100% uh, the highest rated of defensive versatility. He is a really poor defensive rebounder. His offensive efficiency is just about average. Um, he is not a good free throw shooter, um, which leads you to believe he's not going to be a great um, three-point shooter at any point. He is a bigger, stronger, same kind of thing. He's going to create rim shots by bogarting you to the basket. He's a decent finisher. Um, his defensive data is interesting um, on just kind of who he guards and what he did. And his offensive rebounding is way better than his defensive rebounding. But he's not a natural one-on-one player, though. You know, Frank Vogel gave him the ball at the free throw line against us and just torched us um, last year in some games. But he's not a great one-on-one offensive player. He does have some interesting perimeter defensive skills, which were certainly not what he was thought of as a college player. But these two are actually kind of remarkably similar, interchangeable, long pieces, probably both a little heavy-legged in the sense that neither's elite athletically. Um, that was one of the things coming out of the draft on Stanley Johnson is that some of his finishing stuff wasn't great, and you suddenly realize that maybe when he got to the NBA, he wouldn't be as elite athletically. It was a precursor to that maybe he was going to have a little bit of a hard time um, in the NBA. But, you know, interesting to see that these two guys, and I don't, you know, I think when the Jazz are trying to do is find that piece of the puzzle that holds. If you go back and look at Danny Ainge's two rebuilds, he had Kendrick Perkins and Marcus Smart and these little pieces that were important to him that held on throughout the years. The rest of them all got moved, and I think that's where these two guys um, fit as well. Um, Taylor Horton Tucker, by the way, trans, I always think that in the NBA isolation and transition tells you pure athleticism. He was in the 45th percentile in transition rank and he was in the 12th percentile in isolation rank. So neither, you know, great, um, on that one thing on Horton Tucker that probably he deserves some credit for that he's developed is, uh, he was a pretty good, uh, pick and roll ball handler last year. And it'll be interesting to see if he can continue to develop that skill because if you're not a good shooter and you can do that, that does not ruin your spacing quite as much as some other things. If you have the ball in your hand, then you have to be guarded. Stanley Johnson, by the way, in transition was 50th percentile and in isolation really ran almost no isolation last year. Um, so he is, you know, he's really, his offense became uh, put, uh, pick and roll uh, putbacks, or excuse me, offensive rebound putbacks. Um, 
for his offensive game. All right, it is Locked On Jazz, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. So glad to be with you. Thanks for the five-star review, or give us the thumbs up. Uh, who do you like more, THT or SJ? Put it in the comment section of YouTube and let me know which fires you up more, THT or SJ. Just put a little vote on there uh, in the comment section of which one you like better. It, if you are uh, out in the driving and you're one of those people who think it's okay to drive stone that is not true uh what's the worst thing that can happen you end up driving below the speed limit no that's not the worst thing the truth is reaction times slow way down when you're high not only put yourself in danger but everyone around you and that is a pretty big buzzkill so stop kidding yourself it's not okay to drive high if you've been using marijuana in any form do not get behind the wheel if you feel different you drive different drive high get a d-u-i Crazy one to me of what's going on with the Jazz is the limbo land for Mike Conley and Boyan Bogdanovich, maybe Jordan Clarkson, maybe Malik Beasley. Um, in this sense of, so who who has, like, I assume Justin Zanuck has made just a ton of calls. The rest of the league has to know these guys are available. The Jazz are probably reluctant to move them because of exactly what we talked about earlier in the show, that the structure of a deal that actually sounds like it might work, which is the Russell Westbrook coming to the jazz um, aspect of things is that you're probably going to need Boyan or maybe even Mike Conley or maybe Jordan Clarkson or Malik Beasley's contract to get these deals done in some, in some manner. And so it, to me, what gets really interesting here is, is the distraction to me as much as anything is what is going on with Mike Conley, Boyan Bogdanovich, Jordan Clarkson, Malik Beasley. Viable, good, established NBA players who can help teams win. Boyan really could help the Lakers. Could you imagine Boyan on the Lakers? That's that kind of solid performance um, and that shooting. I mean, that the Lakers say they won't parse with two first-round draft picks unless it makes them a title contender. Put Boyan Bogdanovich on the Lakers. I think you've got a title contender. Um, Mike Conley has got to have value to some people out there. He's a, you know, he had a fabulous regular season. He did not have a good postseason, but he had a fabulous regular season. Plus, you're talking about one of the great pure guys in the league as a person. And so it's the limbo land that those guys are in right now. To me, is just crazy. They're going through their their preseason stuff. Boyan playing in Euro. Mike is actually... Uh, been traveling quite a bit, if you follow his wife's Instagram and his own, having a good time. The kids are now back in school. But, like, do they know where they're living? I, 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 I'm not sure. They, they have a pl- I don't know that they still have their place in Salt Lake rented. Do you, do you sign a six-month lease in Salt Lake City right now? Um, the the real-life aspect of what the, these guys are going through is crazy. Like, I know Boyan, you know, was talking to some people about renting a place out here, but then you know, really wants to be able to be out, be able to get out of his lease. Well, nobody in a renting market, even if you're as wealthy as these guys are, is really that interested in a month-to-month lease where they're suddenly back out in the marketplace. So the limbo land that they have, both in life and then in basketball, is crazy. From a jazz standpoint, what jumps out to me is that these deals, you know, I'm assuming there's a process here that's taking place, logically. And so, you know, you have this deal, okay, well, if we trade Don for this and this and this, then that means we still have Boyan's, and then Boyan's going here, and Mike's going here, and like there's just, I think, once one's done, I think we've got two, three, four, just one after another, after another, after another, and suddenly it rolls down the pike 
for us in in it's going to be just a wild run and you know it's hard to go find the the what the deals are and who who it is we're trying to go acquire and what we're trying to get acquired and who needs everybody and maybe teams don't know that they need people right now certainly the Celtics with Danilo Gallinari having a meniscus tear yesterday is a different feel like there were two there was another injury yesterday as well in the NBA and so when you start to have these injuries well then maybe it's so what are we doing in the limbo land with Mike and Boyan before then, like Boyan's not one. Remember Boyan's a guy who, when he got his sprained his ankle in the first game of our, of his career with the jazz, he goes down to LA, the jazz training staff says you can't play. And the next day when the training staff comes to Boyan, he said, you've had your day. You've had your one day and I'm going to play. I'm Boyan Bogdanovich. That's why I say like, if you got a dark playoff alley, I want Boyan Bogdanovich on my side. Um, He's just never phased by anything that's going on. So uh, I, I think that's one of the more interesting ones. And then, you know, from our standpoint, what, you know, what are the deals? What are the next pieces? And does the Patrick Beverly deal, um, which I didn't really get into the X's and O's of it, is Kevin Pelton gave the Jazz a C because they didn't get any draft capital. And I think there's something to that, right? Stanley Johnson's probably one year and out. And then Taylor Horton Tucker is maybe one year and out if he exercises his $11 million option. And you didn't really get much for him. So what does Patrick Beverly, who's probably not quite as good a player as Mike Conley or Boyan Bogdanovich, tell us about what the trade market is yielding for these players right now? And that's that doesn't seem to be a mat. You know, there wasn't any. You weren't going to get a first round pick for Beverly. Um, but can you get a first round pick from, from Mike Conley or for Boyan Bogdanovich? All right, that is Locked on Jazz. Great to be back with you. I'm going to try to get, I'll get three out this week. I just don't know exactly what days. Uh, we'll start looking at deeper look at like who our players are. Try to do a little education as we get toward training camp in about a month. Um, we'll start looking at other teams as well as I start prepping for that. So we'll look at kind of what the rosters of other teams are. And then we may stop by and talk to Ron Boone, Thurl Bailey, Craig Bullerjack, Tony Jones, um, all of our guys um, for some short interviews as well. It's all coming up uh, as we continue to walk you a th- month away from training camp here on Locked on Jazz, your team every day.